This is Government Gone Digital. I'm Dana Birchman, Chief Digital Officer here in Gilbert, Arizona, and I'm here today with Derek Konofalski, our Data and Technology Analyst, and a very special guest, Ryan Andrasoff. Um, Ryan is the Director of Digital Leadership at the Institute on Governance and a consultant on public sector digital transformation. And Ryan, we're so happy to have you with us today. Well, thanks so much, Dana and Derek. Great to be with you. Big fan. Yes. So Derek came across your article recently, The Public Services Digital Digital Literacy Problem, and shared it with our organization. And I think that the subject line of his email to all of us was, I could not agree with every word of this article more. And um, and I think we all agreed as well. And so we're thrilled to have you join us. And, you know, one of the things that you really focus on is this need for digital literacy for every public servant. And I get a lot of questions from a lot of other cities and counterparts about how we make a transition to a digital government. And so I'd love to kind of get your thoughts a little bit about some of the work that you're doing and um, and kind of dive into, you know, what you, you know, really think um, public servants need to do to embrace the latest and greatest in technology. No, that's great, Dana. Thanks. And I'm, you know, I'm excited to hear that it's that the article has, has sparked that interest because it's an issue that, that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I've spent most of the last decade working on digital transformation projects in uh, the public service. Um, so I'm based out of Canada, out of Ottawa, Ontario. So it's been uh, a number of years working with the federal government, uh, have done some work internationally as well um, in, in the digital transformation um, area. And it's one of the issues that I think keeps coming back time and time again. There's been big strides being made for governments around the world and at all levels from municipal governments to state and provincial governments to national, looking at how to improve service delivery using digital and also how to start thinking about how technology is actually changing the policy landscape for governments. But it's tough for those advancements to really be mainstreamed unless the people working in government have that base level of digital literacy. I often, you know, think about this in the context of when I was in university, I did public policy degrees, um, both in Canada and in the United States. And when I was doing my public policy uh, programs, there was this notion of, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of economics and a little bit of statistics, and a little bit of political science and a little bit of law, because even if you're not going to be an economist, you need to have a basic understanding of how numbers and statistics work. So essentially that you can call BS on things when you hear them coming up in the context of your career in government. Yes. And I would argue we're at that same point now for digital and for technology, where everybody working in government, regardless of what area of government they're in, has to have that baseline understanding of technology and how it's impacting the world, because it is really changing the rules of the game in almost any area that you can imagine governments being involved in. Yes, absolutely. Um, Ryan, I have a, a quick question because uh, I don't know how familiar you are with Gilbert, but we run a program here in Gilbert for junior high and high school students called Spark App League, where we are uh, attempting to get students um, 
you know, up to snuff on coding and programming and things like that, but with a civic minded twist to try and get those students kind of ready for the future of government. And one of the things that I recurringly see when we're talking to students and teachers is how the private sector is always making this big push. And, you know, you mentioned uh, in your in your response just now that uh, the digital literacy is a big part of, of government and why we don't have that many people, um, you know, pushing these digital movements forward. Why do you think that is? What is the difference between the, the private sector? Why is the public sector so far behind on that when compared to the private sector or in, in general, kind of how we talk about on this podcast, the way the rest of the world works? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I think there's a few different answers to that. Um, and I'm really excited to hear about that program um, that that you're running, because I think it's really important at an early age for kind of the next generation of potential public servants to start building in those skill sets. Um, in Canada, there's been, um, in the last couple of years, a relatively big move on kind of what they're calling the civic tech movement. Um, and so in a number of cities across Canada, including here in Ottawa, uh, there are active civic tech groups um, that get together on a weekly basis. And it's a mix of people from the public sector, from the private sector, from academia, and people who are just interested in that intersection of technology and government and looking at how they can use technology for the public good. And so we need more of that. Um, you know, I think the question, you know, in part is that government traditionally has recruited for different skill sets. Um, and, you know, government, like any large organization, sometimes can be slow to change some of its processes in terms of, you know, both how it operates internally and then how it thinks about HR and the kind of criteria that it recruits for. So part of it, I think, is getting government to think about these new types of skill sets that it has to attract in to government organizations uh, and being able to recruit from the private sector or elsewhere um, in, in a different way than it's used to. Um, but I do think, you know, my experience has been there actually tend to be a lot of people in government who have part of that. And there's actually many people I come across who may actually have some really interesting technical skills but their day jobs don't let them be able to use it. And so I think part of that is with the existing workforce in government, there's a part of it that's training, but there's another component which is actually helping to kind of unlock some of that talent and potential that a lot of people have. We're, we're in kind of a, a strange situation, whereas, you know, in the article I talk about back in the 1980s or 1990s, you often would go to work if you were a public sector worker, because actually government were the only ones who could afford the newest high tech computers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now we're in a situation where often people have better technology at home than they do at the workplace. And so what ends up happening is sometimes people who actually have pretty interesting digital skills aren't given the tools they need in the workplace to actually be able to, to utilize that and express themselves. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. I could not agree with you more. And we talk about this all the time because, you know, again, if if what we're doing in government is for our residents and our citizens, then we should also be thinking about how they're living their lives and they're living their lives online. You know, they're paying their bills using yeah. Venmo and they're watching video on YouTube. They're not sitting home on their couches watching public access TV. And again, you'll still look around, you see cities producing, you know, content 
for public access TV and not even putting it anywhere else or, you know, still sending that monthly mailer when we know that no one's checking their mail. And you talk about the jobs of the future and kind of evolving. And so often I'll hear, and I've had this experience happen to me here where I was hiring someone and I had a panel of people tell me, but they don't have any government experience. And it's like, it's a marketing job. You know, they have marketing right. experience. Was that me? Was that my And <laughs> it wasn't you, but it was someone else on our team. And it was just so shocking to me. And I thought, well, if this is the way that the rest of, you know, government organizations are hiring. And it's interesting. My husband recently started a job um, at a company where they're focused on athletic performance. And so they hire a lot of former athletes and nothing wrong with that. But I'm like, okay, but are they like marketers? Like, do they understand how to market to everyone, not just athletes? And you were having this conversation. I said, this is the same issue in government. It's that we, we hire people with government experience or we think, you know, I know, I know when I came here, I inherited a lot of people that were audiovisual techs who were pressing buttons at council meetings, but then they were being asked to create high quality video product. And it was like, well, they didn't have the skill set. And, you know, nowadays, so much of what we can do, like you said, it's it's in the technology we're using at home. It's in our hand. I mean, think of our kid. My kids are, you know, more tech savvy than I am probably, you yeah. know, and and it's like, but yet we haven't evolved. I think about with voting, you know, the American voting systems and mm-hmm. um, all of these, you know, again, archaic systems that exist and we're not able to evolve. And yeah. so I'm just I, I think, again, to me, it's like. It seems so clear, but maybe that's because we have a little bit of that outside perspective. If you've only ever worked in government, you know, sometimes that lens can be really narrow about, well, you know, why wouldn't I just hire an accountant one, two or three or, you know, even like our fire service and thinking about how that will evolve with technology as we look to hire, you know, and incorporate AI and, and robotics and whatever that looks like in the future. And, and it's, it's difficult, um, you know, for change, change is always, you know, a difficult thing, but, um, I'd love to hear, I know that, um, we really believe that the vision comes from the top down. I've seen this in cities across, if, if your city manager and your mayor aren't on board at the local level, at least this is really difficult to kind of drive this digital transformation across the organization. I know you do an, an executive digital executive leadership program. I'd love to hear about that and, you know, why you started that and what you're finding when you're meeting with executives. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, just to touch on the point that you were making, I, I think it's so important that as we're looking at governments evolving, this notion of having mobility where people can come into government and go out of it and get different types of experiences and bring that back. That's something that I think is really important. Um, the, you know, the approach that the U.S. Digital Service and 18F um, in the States has taken I was involved in helping to set up the Canadian Digital Service a couple of years ago here in Canada. And, you know, we've all taken those approaches where these, you know, these digital teams within government have seen the value of bringing people in on kind of short term tours of duty um, because it exposes public servants to private sector approaches that they might not otherwise get exposure to. And I think the tougher side of that, but something that also needs to be pursued is being able to help give opportunities for you know people who may have spent 10 or 15 years on the government side to give them that exposure to working for a nonprofit or working in the private sector mm-hmm. because those opportunities can I think make a big difference in changing the culture of an organization. Um, in terms Absolutely. of the the digital leadership course that we're running 
So uh, last year, I left the federal government, and I'm doing some work still with the public sector around uh, digital transformation and digital leadership. And one of the things I feel really passionately about having spent a number of years working in this space is that need for leaders at all levels to have a, a baseline level of understanding of technology and what this digital era means for, for government leaders. And I, and I think, as you pointed out, absolutely, you know, it starts at the top. And often when we run into problems with projects that involve technology, it can often be a challenge of leadership where you've got people who are leading projects who don't understand either the possibilities around using technology and, and approaching problems in a different way or the limits of that technology and being able to understand, you know, what's within the realm of the possible. So I've partnered up with uh, the Institute on Governance um, to put together this new digital executive leadership program. And we just ran our first cohort of it in December. We've got our second cohort of the program coming in, up in March. And it's a, it's a five-day uh, program. It's kind of a five-day boot camp format. And, and the idea is that we, we attract in uh, executives from government, um, federal government in Canada, but we're also opening it up to provincial and local levels of government. And not just for those working in technology, but for executives in any part of the organization. The idea is to give them very quickly kind of a bit of an understanding of some key areas in the digital realm. So we've got a focus on design thinking, a focus on uh, digital technology and new and emerging types of technology, and a focus on data science. And so we, we spent a day on each of those doing a deep dive and really getting them to kind of understand what we mean by these different techniques and approaches, demystifying some of the buzzwords around it. Um, and then we also have a day looking at the big picture strategic drivers. So things around what's happening internationally in this space, looking at how governments have been evolving over the last couple of decades, uh, looking at public opinion and how in, in our context, how Canadians views around technology are, are shaping the discussion around this. And then our last day is our taking action day where we get uh, executives thinking about how do they bring this back to their own teams and how do you recruit and retain and build a multidisciplinary team with the digital skills we're looking at? And as a leader, what are the types of approaches and competencies you need to be able to actually lead a government organization in the digital era? Uh, so I, it's been really exciting for us to have gotten our first group uh, through this program. Um, and we're, we're going to have a number of other uh, cohorts of the course coming up in the next few months. Uh, but I think it's really important um, and to have a number of different organizations playing in this space uh, because it's a big challenge. You know, in the, in the Canadian government, we have over 300,000 people working for the federal government. There's over 3 million Canadians that work for government at one level or another. And it's really going to be a large change that ultimately has to happen to be able to, to bring those digital literacy levels up to where we want to see it across the board. Is this just for executives within government organizations or is this something that you're extending to like elected officials or, um, you know, uh, just more outside of the people who are like policymakers and things like that? Because I, I actually secretly, not so secretly, kind of have this fear that I feel like a lot of our elected officials even don't have these digital literacy skills. And so what's happening, especially I think in the United States, is that we're getting these corporations that are inventing all these crazy cool technologies, but then they're also kind of sort of dictating how those technologies are being used 
just by virtue of most of the people in positions of power don't really understand how those technologies work. So is this something that you're just looking at from a, a you know, staff level or are you also looking outwards? Yeah, it's a great point, Derek. Um, and, you know, at this point, the course is targeted on uh, staff within government organizations, kind of the, the, okay. the lifetime public servants. But you're absolutely right is that digital literacy absolutely extends to all policymakers in terms of the need for those skill sets to be there. You know, a part of it is, I think, as you have some generational change within government, it, it mm -hmm. kind of naturally brings some of that with it. When we had a, a change in the federal government here uh, three years ago, it was kind of a noticeably younger government that came in. And I think I, I certainly saw that that had kind of a different impact where you've got ministers, you know, who are in their 30s or 40s. They're just, you know, they are digital natives themselves and they're much more familiar with the technology. So to some degree, yeah. that digital, you know, that demographic shift does make a bit of a difference. But at the same point, you're absolutely right. I mean, one of the things, you know, I, I've been saying a lot lately is that I would argue today every issue is a digital issue. Um, and there's no area of government policy that isn't touched by technology in some way. And so 100%, I would love to see, you know, down the road, building in programs like this for, you know, newly elected officials, and also importantly, the staff that work for politicians. Um, mm. You know, I know this is certainly true in Canada, and I think it's probably equally true in the United States, but often the advisors and staff, you know, whether it be in the White House or whether it be in the mayor's office or whether it be working for a congressman or senator, they have huge influence on the policy process as well. And as they're going to be increasingly dealing with issues around how do you regulate the big tech companies, you know, I mean, we're obviously these days struggling with issues around fake news. We're looking at autonomous vehicles and how we're kind of regulating and dealing with some even the emerging technologies like artificial intelligence. There are some really deep and powerful public policy impacts here, and it requires people to be quite um, to have quite a high level of digital literacy and understanding to be able to tackle them effectively. I agree. We have recently had um, Bird, a, a scooter operator. I was just thinking the bring, same thing. Bring, bring these scooters into our community. And and I will tell you, it's been so interesting because, you know, we were the, the initial reaction, and it's happening in cities across the country where um, these companies are coming to bring either their bikes or, um, you know, their scooters and next, who knows what it will be. But um, they're, the city's a lot of them are either, you know, banning them, sending them cease and desist letters, um, trying to create code, you know, some type of, you know, code compliance, rewriting legislation to get them out of the community or try to block it. And I, I really truly believe that this is just the beginning. And a year ago, we didn't even know it was going to be scooters. What's it going to be next? And if we you know, don't evolve to help to incorporate these technologies into our communities. One of the things we quickly did when a lot of our teams and, and even our elected officials jumped to say, get these things out of here, it's a liability or, you know, they're, they're being dumped and they're unkempt and they're not, you know, put properly in places around the city. And we said, let's do 
a survey of our residents. And so we went online and, and using Nextdoor and, you know, a survey tool and were able to get over 2,800 responses from our residents quickly um, about what they thought about scooters. And the truth of the matter was they liked them. They thought that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that this was really cool and it was a new way for them to get around. And, but yet they wanted to know, you know, no one was really clear on where they could ride them. You know, was it, was it in the bike lane? Is it on the sidewalks? Cause there'd been no educational component to this to actually, uh, you know, thinking about proactively educating, you know, working with these companies or educating our residents about how they could use these scooters. And so it was really great and powerful when we could show them the data that came from, you know, this feedback that we got from residents, which which really was, oh, we'd, we'd like to see them stay, or I don't know, I'd like to learn more about them, or, you know, here's the things related to micromobility also that we could, um, we got some other feedback from them about, we'd like to see more charging stations, and um, and this is the thing, we, we want to be open for places like, you know, Bird or Waymo, Google Self-Driving Car Project to be able to come and test pilot in our area. And we have amazing weather here in Arizona. So it's the perfect place to do that. But yet, for some reason, when government gets involved quickly, it's like, get out. You know, we don't, we, we, we can't have this or what could go wrong or <laughs> worst case scenario. And, and, you know, it's fine. It, we need to think about obviously safety and liability and all of those, but like, what about working together to come up with solutions that make sense for the residents? And, you know, it was just, it was so eye opening to me because I thought in my head, like, you know, what's, we don't, we don't even know what's coming a few years from now. And when it comes to micromobility and, and yet what are the possibilities of what we could do with the data that these scooters are gathering or, you know, how these could help to make our city cleaner and safer, um, if done, you know, done the right way. So I just thought it was an interesting example of like, you're talking about an, an instance where I think across the country, um, government has been quick to jump at this technology because they just don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say, I thought it was interesting because I, lo- I was even looking at that from, from a slightly different perspective. I was surprised by how many municipalities and how many places jumped on them, not even from the technological perspective of, of what data was being collected or what data was even available. And with self-driving cars, like how are these cars making these decisions? It was just from the external perspective of they're cluttering up the sidewalks or, you know, people are driving in the streets or people aren't wearing helmets. And, and well, yeah, while I agree you, you have to have your safety stuff yeah. there's also there are technological implications to every single one of those devices self-driving cars all these different sensors and scanners and stuff there's there's so much more than just what's on the surface there there is and it's you know and it echoes some of the debates that have been happening the last few years around companies like uber and airbnb as well mm-hmm. 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 and and, and what concerns me is that the speed of technological innovation is only getting faster. Exactly. Uh, you know, I talk often about if you go back 100 years, right, when the automobile was first introduced, it took 30 plus years for the majority of people to be able to afford and use an automobile. Um, even the introduction of the Internet, you know, the Internet, as we know, it launched in the early 1990s. And it really wasn't until about 10 years later that you saw kind of the majority of people using the Internet as part of their daily life. We're in a situation yeah, where these new technologies come up and it's a matter of months, maybe, before they're getting used by millions of people. And so I think where we're already seeing governments struggling to keep up with some of these changes, my concern is, frankly, it's only going to get faster. 
Um, and so to me, it kind of speaks to that need that we really have to kind of think about our our governance systems and how we make decisions about these types of issues and be able to adjust them to the speed that we're now working in because, you know, we can't turn the clock back on this and we're going to have to make sure that governments at all levels, and actually I think municipal governments in some ways are, are kind of the thin edge of the wedge because often when these new types of disruptive technologies are introduced, it's actually the cities that have to deal with it first from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah, and even the cities, when they do deal with it, it's typically a short-term vision of, of what the solution to these problems yes. are, as opposed to like a long-term, te- you know, that's one of the things that I think here in Gilbert we did very, very well, is we have a digital roadmap of, you know, what, what were our plans for five years from now, but also 10 years from now, and now we're talking a lot about, as an organization, you know, what does the city of the future actually look like? Is it, c- can we think about all these big buzzwords about smart cities and internet of things and all that stuff does that really make a smart city or is a smart city truly the city that thinks about 20 years into the future and 25 years into the future and you know how does that affect what we're doing now if we can't even begin to imagine what you know to your point about uber and airbnb those things didn't even exist 10 years ago Mm -hmm. five years ago you know the the iphone barely existed 10 years ago so what is the next 10 years what does the next 20 years look like and how do cities respond to that ryan you'll love this story when i rolled out to our executive team um, a few years back about how we were going to be using video to basically to live stream in you know our police and our fire department were there so it was in emergency situations or if there was a new business opening or Mm -hmm. you know something interesting was going on and so periscope was really hot and I was like oh periscope and so I did a tutorial and I talked to all of them and and then a few weeks later it was like and now it's Facebook Live. So now everyone was doing Facebook Live and it was a more, um, you know, instead of a global audience with Periscope, it was a more um, focused audience, people that were following, maybe more localized, probably better for us. So I got in front of the same group again and was like, okay, now face, you know, now Facebook's doing live video. So we're going to do Facebook Live. And, and they're like, but you said we were doing Periscope. <laughs> and I was yeah, like, those- well, that was a few weeks ago. <laughs> and we're exactly. going to, so while well, we were going to do both, you know, and it was like, but they couldn't wrap their head around this idea, you know, and then it was like, and, and it was so telling to me in that moment. I was like, but you said, and it was so funny because I said to them, and I remember it so vividly, and I said, you know, when you go to sleep at night and you wake up, technology is evolving and the world is evolving. And if we don't evolve with it, we're going to be left behind. And so, yes, today it is Facebook Live. Yesterday it was Periscope. Tomorrow, I don't know what it will be, but if we're mm-hmm. not willing to you know, shift course, take a risk, try new things, embrace it like the rest of the world is doing, then we will never be relevant. And we will be missing this amazing opportunity to be connecting with our residents the way they want to connect with us. And, and I think it was a real moment for me of understanding like, wow, like this is a complete change in the way they see the world. I mean, the world and, and how they view, you know, their job and their ability to adapt quickly. And it was, it was shocking because I think a lot of people come into government for a lifelong job. You know, they think Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in this job for 40 years, collect my retirement. I'm going to retire here. And I think we all know, you know, with, with 
the, you know, average rate of people, you know, wanting to be in jobs. And like you said, I love your concept of come to government, go out and get other experience and then come bring it back. You know, we say that about Gilbert, leave Gilbert and go get the experience and then come back and share it with us or open your business here, whatever that might look like. And God, it's just, it's so true because the world isn't that way anymore. You can't, you won't have a job today. Your job likely won't even exist in 40 years, you know? So, and, and that's, that's just such something I think cities need to open their eyes to. When, when I traveled from, to my first, it was the International City Managers Association meeting in Baltimore with my boss, the city manager. It was very, very eye-opening to walk into that situation and kind of look around and think to myself like, oh, wow, like these people were all kind of groomed to be city managers of the past really, but like who's teaching the city managers of the future? And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I always kind of put my city manager out there because he's smart enough to understand that even though he might not be the most tech savvy person, he knows how to hire the right people who get it and who are. And he gets out of our way and lets us go. And I know that that's really rare. I don't take that for granted, you know, working in government. I'm sure you see that all mm-hmm. the time. Well, and, and I think, you know, you raise a you raise a really important point, which is this you know, this uncertainty around the speed of change, it, it can be a real limiting factor for people. Because I, I think in a lot of cases, people feel because the technology is evolving and changing so quickly, they can't keep up with it. And so they feel a little bit insecure sometimes in being able to talk about it or being able to address it. And so, you know, part of what we actually try to address in the course is you know, having people understand that, you know, some of this, there is, you know, buzzwords out there. So it's demystifying some of the tech talk. And to be frank, it's 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 helping people realize that, you know, nobody has this figured out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this space is moving so quickly that even, you know, people like us who kind of spend our, our days working on these things, sometimes it's tough for us to keep up on, on the latest on everything that's going on. And so I think the more that we kind of build that confidence in people that they don't have to be an expert on every new app and social media platform and new type of technology that comes out. But it's really having that kind of that gut instinct. Um, You know, one of the people I quote in the article, uh, Alex Dunn, who's from the UK, talks about technical intuition, which is a term that I really like. It's I think it's helping executives and leaders in government develop that intuition so they can, even if they're not going to be the ones who are the expert on new digital technologies, they can at least be able to ask insightful questions to get the information they need to make good decisions about it. Yeah, I feel like I love that word too, digital intuition, because to me, to, you know, just, I mean, mirroring Dana's example, it's the difference between recognizing that, oh, there's a tool out there called Periscope, or there's a tool called Facebook Live, or there's a tool out there that I can use called YouTube Live versus, oh, hey, now live video is a thing and people want to jump on that. Regardless of the platform or how you get to it or whatever, you need to start thinking about live video now exists. What can you do with it? How can you engage with people? How can you bridge that that gap now between people? And and that to me is like the definition of that digital intuition. It's you you said it earlier about a toolbox. You know, it's it's knowing mm-hmm. the fact that technology exists, and then what really is innovation to me is taking those different disparate tools and 
figuring out, you know, unique, creative, innovative ways to bring them together to do something that's never done before. It's never about the individual tool. It's all about knowing what's out there and knowing how to combine it to do something that nobody's ever done. Yeah. And I think it's really important too to, to recognize that, you know, people who've spent 20, 30 years in government have real value to bring to this because they actually understand how our governance systems work, mm -hmm. you know, there's a real legitimate role the government plays in terms of protecting the public good. Um, and so I really think actually the magic happens when you can bring together people who kind of understand the latest technology and how to use it and bring together the people who kind of have that deep understanding of how public institutions work and be able to kind of reimagine new ways of doing things that these tools give us that weren't possible 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and so that's, you know, to me, that's the magic of it. And that's that's why I think it's so important, as we were talking about earlier, to get people having different experiences, to look at being able to attract and bring people in from the private sector and from elsewhere, and also kind of younger, new recruits into government who have a bit of a different worldview and comfort level with some of these new and emerging digital tools. Because if you can if you can kind of bring those two worlds together, some really great stuff can happen. The risk of the risk of this sometimes can be that you can almost kind of build this like digital elitism where people, you know, where there's kind of this notion of, ah, it's, you know, it's the young kids who kind of know all this stuff and they almost get shunned a little bit. And I think long term, that's actually not healthy. We really need to kind of get both people who've had kind of long careers in the public service and those who are bringing fresh perspectives on it and get them to be able to work side to side on this. Oh, Ryan, you are amazing. This is exactly that. It, oh gosh, I just, I'm so glad to hear you say that because we agree. And, you know, there's, there is something magical about getting to work in this, you know, space. And I actually grew up in Gilbert. So mm -hmm. I have, I feel like I have like the most rewarding job ever. And, you know, there are, you are right. We, we, we have people here who have the institutional knowledge, who understand so much about, you know, our history or how we got here and, and what we need to do to move forward. And, and a lot of times they want to be a part of this and yet we don't know how to involve them. We don't know, like you said right. earlier, it's like there's probably people here in your organization who would love to do more, but have been either siloed in whatever, you know, part of the organization they might live in or, you know, their job is, you know, so specific, their job description that it's holding them back from getting to try and innovate and do different things. And so I, lo I love having you. I think this is an, an amazing conversation that's so relevant you know, for you, obviously, and in here for us in the U.S. as well. So I really appreciate you joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. And it's uh, it's great to learn a little bit about the, the work you're doing down there. And I think, you know, all of us, regardless of where we are, and, I, and I've seen this talking to, to, to people working on, on digital and government anywhere in the world, I think everybody's kind of facing the same situation and some of the same challenges um, you know, and as I often say to people, I mean, this is new, right? It's only in the last decade or so that the internet and all the related technologies around that have kind of reached the point of maturity that they're having the impact that they are. And so I think all of us, frankly, are figuring this out as we go. But it, it's a really exciting time to kind of be working at this intersection of technology and government. And uh, so excited to, to meet people from elsewhere who are who are thinking about these things and working on them as well. So real pleasure to be here with you today. Definitely. Let's figure it out together. Absolutely.
Yes. Thank you both, Derek and Ryan, and obviously to our listeners. And we will definitely see you soon from Gilbert, Arizona on Government Gone Digital. 